0: Welcome to the Vintage Grace Sunday Podcast. Whether you're at the gym, in the car, working around the house, or doing whatever it is you like to do as you listen to podcasts, we hope that our time together helps you to develop a deeper love for Jesus. By the way, we are a relationally driven church, and we believe that we're transformed when we're in community. So if you're not in a life group, we invite you to sign up, shoot an email to info at vintagegrace.org, and we'll help you find the right group for you. Let's grow in our joy together now.
1: Amen? I just, I love being your pastor. It was, a, it was a great week last week. I was away. Whenever it's over 110 degrees in town, just count on me being on vacation. <laughs> Because I'm not a big fan of the surface of the sun. This is clearly where God has called us. So we're going to be faithful, but we will run away like Jonah if it's hot. We were in the mountains. I got to watch TV online. So if you're watching online, that was me last week. I just love being on mission with you. And sometimes summer is a season where people do. They kind of run away, they travel, they leave. Ministry sometimes ramps down at churches. We just believe summer creates more opportunities to ramp up. In fact, it was so great to be back this week in the office, not just because the weather, although the weather this week was great, So again, it's going to be hot again in the future. We know where Drew's going to be. But the weather was great. But actually, ministry was great this week. As a former youth pastor, I find no greater joy than walking on campus and seeing all of campus destroyed because Student Ministries was here. Amen? Amen. Like, it is a mess around campus this week, and that's because we had almost 200 junior high school students and another 50-plus volunteers serving our youth of, of our region. That was July. In June, we had almost 500 campers on camp for base camp, and again, another 200 volunteers. So if you kind of do the quick math, you're 1,000 people. So instead of people running away, like Drew, some people run into the fire, like firemen or youth and kids workers, Right? <laughs> So thank you if that's you. Now, I don't want you to be confused because today's topic in our joy course is joy and communitas. It's not community. Community is a common unity. Communitas for us is a common mission. And so the mission of everything we do at Vintage Grace, Daisy did a great job last week reminding us, kids camp, youth camp, summer nights, the mission for all of those is what? Anybody know what the mission is? It's on the screen. Someone said it. Discipleship. It was one of our pastors on the camera. Well, okay, come on, church. Maybe I don't miss you that much. Everything we do has one focus. In fact, you know when Jesus sent the church, he actually didn't send them to plant churches. We love church planting, do we not, vintage? Yeah. But church planting is just a collection of disciple makers. That's all church planting is. The mission that Jesus gave the church of the Great Commission in Matthew was what? Go into the world and make disciples. And who are the disciple makers of Vintage Grace? Everybody raise your hand, please. We are. We're in this relationship, inviting people in. Again, so thank you to Jen and our kids team and Daisy and our youth team and all of you because here's our focus as a church to be disciples that make disciples that make what? Disciples. That's actually what leads to a joy-filled community of faith. And so if you're a guest with us today, if you're watching online, can I just encourage you to fill out a Connect card? You're like, I thought we missed that part of the service. We will never miss the Connect card. Why? Because this is what leads to discipleship. It leads to relationships. Something I've had to wrestle with over really the last seven years at Vintage Grace is I am a small church pastor at heart. You know what I mean by that? Like, I want to know about your cat's cousin's grandma's aunt. <laughs> like, that, that's my heart. But I recognize I've got this whole limitation. Anyone know what a watch is or a calendar or 24 hours in a day? And so please hear me. Like, my heart is to be in every single life group. We got to be at life group last week, and I'm like, I love life group. You heard Carl just share about life group. And so that's my heart. That's our heart as a church is that you fill out a connect card and you'd connect in meaningful relationships. Because here's the deal. The pastors at Vintage Grace, those are our life group leaders. Those are our youth leaders. Those are our young adults and our small group leaders and our Bible study leaders. So we'd encourage you, fill out a connect card. If you're watching online, you can text in. But let us know who you are and let us know how we can battleship with you. I think there's two different versions of church currently in the Church of America. One is a cruise ship. How many of you guys like cruising before 2019, right? And so the cruise ship, I love cruising. You know why? Because I love to eat and it's always open and I don't have to do dishes. But a cruise ship, there's a little bit of everything available that you can partake in, right? And for many of us, we're fans of that. Here's the only problem. In the church, Jesus doesn't create a cruise ship. He creates a what? A battleship. Where everyone's got a role, everyone's got a place to serve, we're kingdom laborers, we're not consumers, and that's hard for us in America, because you know what we do really well in America? We consume. Can somebody say amen? (laughs) We consume. And yet the church, we're a mission-driven, kingdom-focused, follower of Jesus group. Amen? Amen. Not a common unity, but a common mission, serving a common king, who we know the final score, but man, that's what caused us to wake up and to get after it, to dive into the diamond, to fill out a connect card, to serve and to be on mission. Why? Because we are kingdom laborers. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the book of Philippians. We've been in this book, walking through this letter where Paul wrote to his church. He wrote to a church that he pastored, that he planted, that if he went away, he didn't go on vacations, he went on more missionary trips. I went on vacation. But as he goes away, he longs for these people. He cares about these people. In fact, their intimacy increases in the relationship when? When they pursue the kingdom together. When they become kingdom laborers linked arm by arm to fight for the king and to pursue that. And so this joy in communitas is part of what I felt this last week. Just this joy in missing you. This joy in wanting to be with you, this joy in coming together, this joy in saying, Jesus wins, let's fight for him. And so as we dive into the text, remember Paul's writing to his brothers, he's writing to his kingdom laborers who are grinding for the kingdom. It's not that it's easy, it's that it's worth it. We think about the joy in the gospel, joy in communitas. It's not that it's easy, it's that it's worth it. And so again, Dacey did a great job last week. He ended with this idea of stand firm. And here's the summary picking up in chapter four. Here's where we're gonna go. So Paul wraps up his letter to the church. Now again, when I say we're wrapping up today, just like Paul, that means we have two weeks left. Finally is never finally for preachers. But as Paul wraps up his letter today, he's going to thank the church of Philippi for their gospel partnership. Please hear me, church. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being on mission on the battleship. Not for my sake. Not just for your sake, but for his glory. And so Paul's going to thank the church. And he's going to say, as a result of this relationship, as a result of you and I fighting for the king, three key things we're going to see in the text today. Here's the first one. The gospel advances and lives are changed. Is that not good news? When you make an investment, do you wanna know your ROI before you make the investment? ROI, for those of you that don't know, return on investment. I like to invest in things that actually have a return, amen? Like being a Giants fan right now, it's a great investment. Last three years, terrible investment. I like to know the final score before I invest. Here's what Paul says, thank you for your investment, it's made a difference. The gospels move forward, we already know the final score. He says, not only have I benefited from your investment, but you've actually benefited too. The third thing we'll see in the text today is that we're both gonna get an eternal reward. Now, when we're kingdom laborers, is there ever a gap in our life? Yeah. How often is there a gap in your life? Every second of your day. There's always gaps between our present and our desired state. Where's Paul writing when he's writing the joy gospel, when he's writing the joy epistle? Where's he writing from? Prison. He's been persecuted. He's, He's been locked in chains. I asked one of our our. Friends, Deputy Graff, remember I said, why do you keep sitting so far back? Every week you sit further back. He's like, I don't want to get locked up every Sunday. Paul's in prison, he's locked up, and if he was in the room, he'd be the most free person here. It's not that there aren't gaps in the midst of our suffering, it's that Jesus meets us in the gap, and so Paul wants this for the church. He wants them to see and to receive. He wants them to understand that we were dead in our sin, but God makes us alive, and what does that make most of us? Wow. Earls, can you help me out? What does that make us? When we were dead, but God makes us alive. What does that make us over here? Happy. Makes us happy. We were dead, but God makes us alive. And so Paul, circumstances stink, but he says, look up, don't look out. And let me be really honest. Maybe you're like me. Has anyone else had a rough 18 months or just me? It's been a long 18 months. Like vacation never sounded so good. Just a time to do nothing, to break, to rest. Because I don't know about you, but when I look out at the world, what do I get? I get depressed. I get discouraged. If I'm knocked down and I look out, I just see a bunch of bodies laying around. I get overwhelmed and beat up, but if I look up, here's what I see. Here's what Paul wants to see. If I look up, I see God. I see his sovereignty, I see his control, I see his victory. I also typically, if I look up after I've been knocked down, you know what else I see? I see brothers reaching a hand out to pull me up. Why? Because we need communitas. And that's what we're going to see today. Paul is talking to his communitas about communitas for his glory and for their good. If you have your Bibles, turn with me. Chapter 4, verse 2. Now, we're going to read a lot of verses today. Next, we're going to focus on really verses 4 through 13. I'm going to focus on 14 through 20, but I want to read all of it today just so that we can see the context. So chapter 4, starting in verse 2. Here he goes. Paul says, I entreat Udia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me for the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, again, we're not going to deal with this in depth, but I want you to notice, in communitas, do we ever disagree? All the time. Now, do we know what matters most? Look at how he ends this. He says this, but agree in the Lord. Your names are in the book of life. I don't know exactly what your approach is to mass or to vaccines or to whatever, fill in the blank, but church, will we disagree at vintage grace about things of the empire, things of this world? Will we disagree? Everybody said yes. "Yes." That's not a surprise. That's called humanity. Do you ever have disagreements in your marriage? Again, our disagreements are usually only when I'm wrong, but typically in relationships it happens. It happens all the time in every way. And I love this because I get concerned sometimes in the church, we only share the positive stories. And Paul's like, hey, guys, that little fight over there about mass, or that little fight over there about vaccines or that little fight over there about the Dodgers, can you recognize it for what it is? It's what? Rubbish. It's a distraction from the enemy to take your eyes off the king and his kingdom. And so I love that here as Paul's wrapping up his letter in chapter 4, he just simply says this, stand firm because you're going to be tempted not to stand firm. Stand firm because you're going to forget what's at the top of the triangle, what matters most, and you've got to fight for your joy in Jesus. And so he says to these women, women, agree in the Lord. And I ask those of you who are reading this, true companions, go sit down with them. Has Paul ever disagreed with someone in ministry? Totally he has. And yet he says at the end of the day, if we're going to be together in heaven, we better figure out how to live on earth. Amen. So Paul says, agree in the Lord. Don't miss this. Our names are in the book of life. Look at how many times Paul references this chapter one, verse five. He says, we're gospel partners. Chapter one, verse seven, he says, we're partakers of grace together. We pour ourselves out as kingdom laborers. We are not kingdom leaders. We're kingdom servants. Remember chapter two? It's one of the issues in the church of America is we're confused as to what a kingdom leader looks like because we don't have enough kingdom servants. Who was the first kingdom servant? The king. Jesus lays down his life. He pours out his life for his church to bring her back to the father. After Jesus in chapter 2, Paul says, look at myself. I poured out my life for you. I've literally, I'm in prison because I love the gospel, because I love people that don't love Jesus. Jesus. That's why he's in prison. He says, EPAP, I'm writing this letter to people that love me, and I'm supporting you. He says, EPAP gave his life. Timothy gave his life. He gives example after example of people that pour out his life. So again, don't miss this. In community, there's always chaos. At most weddings, I share this example with the husband and the bride. I just simply say, at your first dance, metaphorically, you're going to step on each other's toes. But here's what, what's important. The DJ, who I believe is the father, never turns off the music. If you're not a good dancer, any bad dancers out there or just me? Come on, Brian, I see you, right? If you're not a good dancer, you got to remember that God is still orchestrating a beautiful song. And so we continue to press on and we fight for our joy together. So Paul starts there in chapter 4, then he gets to verse 4 and he says this. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say what? Have we memorized that word yet, church? Clearly not, because when I ask you about being dead in your sin and alive in Christ, you forget what that makes you. It makes you happy. He says again and again, 16 times, 40% of the references, Paul loves the word joy. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Now, why do we rejoice? Because we're in the Lord. Again, I'm going to say rejoice. Let your reasons be known among everyone. The Lord is at hand. Church, 2020 was a phenomenal opportunity for the Church of America to actually show the world what matters most to us. And instead, we fought about masks and vaccines. Now, again, here's the good news. Although I miss, I think we miss the boat sometimes in the big sea. I, I'm proud of you, Vintage. I think we miss the boat a little bit. Here's the good news guess what else is coming in 21 and in 22 and in 23 and in 24? What's going to happen in the future? Gaps. And when gaps happen, what do we get, church? What do we get? Opportunities to show the world that Jesus is King. Opportunities to show the world that our joy is not compromised because the gap is big because our joy is in Jesus. Look at what Paul says. Let your reasonless be known to everyone. Why? Because the Lord's at hand. I don't have time to freak out about the Dodgers because Jesus is coming back. Amen? He's present, he's here, and he's coming back to redeem us. He says, don't be anxious about anything. Why? Because that stuff doesn't matter. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, anyone else love that song? Thank you, Eve, for leading us. Why do I worry? Why do we worry, church? Can we answer our own question? Because we don't trust God enough. And, and you're not alone in that. We worry. And so that's why Paul's reminding us, look up. Don't look out. Look up. That will give you thanksgiving as your requester may know unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Christians, our prayer is not that the gap would shrink, but that we would recognize Jesus in the gap. That's the prayer that Paul says here. He says, finally, brothers, we've heard this before. You know he's not done. He wasn't done the first time he said it. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, lovely, commendable. This sounds like looking up, not looking out. Meditate on these things. Anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And he says this, that's what I try to do for you. As your pastor, as your leader, that's what Paul says. That's what I hope to do as your pastor and as one of your leaders who follows Jesus. Receive and hear and see these things in me and practice these things so that the God of peace will be with you. It's how he started his letter in chapter one, two, and it's how he's ending his letter in chapter four. It's what Paul wants for you. He wants you to be happier tomorrow than you are today. That doesn't mean that Paul cares about your gap. He cares about your theology. He cares about you thinking rightly so that you might actually live rightly. And here's what we're going to zoom in on today. So I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me. Remember, he's writing a support letter. He's writing a letter back to people that supported him financially, but you didn't have an opportunity then. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. Because I've learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. Remember that word, church. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and needs. I can do all things in contentment through Christ who strengthens me. Church, here's where we're going to zoom in on, starting in verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourself, you know in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia that no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, only you. Even in Thessalonica you sent me help. And my needs, once again, not that I ever sought the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from EPAP the gifts that you had sent, this fragrant offering and sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, with the glory forever and ever. And everybody said, Amen. Father God, as we come before and as we read these verses, would you allow us, Spirit... To see what you're doing in Philippi and in Paul's life in prison. And would you do it in our life? Would you show us a new way of life, of partnership, not of community, but of communitas? Would you cause us to look up and not out today at your word? And would this all be about your glory and our good, we pray. Speak to us, Spirit. For your glory we ask these things. Amen. So here's where we're going to start. We're going to zoom in on verse 14. And here's Paul. He's writing a thank you letter in prison to his supporters. It's the very end, and here's what he says. It was kind of you to share in my trouble. I love if you read the context leading up to verse 14. Here's what Paul says. He goes, guys, really? I don't have any needs, but thanks for filling all of my needs. Did you catch that? I've learned the secret to be content. I've learned what it means to have no needs at all, to never have my joy be compromised by my circumstance, by my gap. But oh, by the way, I still had needs, and guess how they got met? You. He's writing a thank you letter to those who God has used to meet his past needs. Now, I gotta believe Paul is awesome. I'm a big Paul fan, but Paul is not Jesus. He's a sinner saved by grace, a saint who still struggles with sin, and I don't think that Paul's perfect. In fact, Paul tells us some of his struggles during his life. I gotta believe there's moments for Paul where he's been in prison, because he's had lots of chances, where he's sitting in prison, he's like, man, again, Jesus? I'm all alone. You ever have those moments of like, woe is me? Paul's in prison because he was faithful. He's in prison because he served God. He's in prison because he proclaimed the gospel. And I love this. I think there's moments in Paul's life where he's like, man, I'm just trying to be a good Christian. Remember at Vintage Grace, we don't believe there's ever a thing called a good Christian. There's just desperate, dependent, broken sinners saved by grace. But I think Paul at times, he wasn't perfect. I think he kind of wallowed in self-pity. Come on, God, I'm just doing the right thing. I got to believe that maybe in those exact moments is when EPAP's gift showed up. Don't you love God's timing? Eve asked us earlier this morning to remember God's faithfulness in the past. I wonder if Paul was in a moment of self-pity when EPAP showed up in prison and said, Hey, Paul, I just want you to know we were thinking about you. What a cool reminder that you are not alone. Church, why do we want you to fill out a connect card? Because you're not alone, but we have to actually get to know you so we can be on mission together. So again, God is using people to encourage Paul, and he says, thank you for your partnership. Four times that we know of the Church of Philippi invested in Paul financially. These weren't like one-time gifts. He says, man, it was kind of you to share in my troubles. You Philippians yourself, you know that at the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, Macedonia is a large region, so think like Sacramento County, that when I left Macedonia and went out to El Dorado Hills in Thessalonica, you alone were the ones that cared about me. You alone were the one that entered into partnership with me, even in Thessalonica, because we typically make investments in things where we get to see the benefit, right? We want to make an investment when we can actually see, and let's be really honest, church, receive the benefit. Like, I'll invest in a company if you give me a guaranteed dividend. And so he says this, guys, you invested me even when I left you and went to Thessalonica, and yet you invested You invested in me, and even more so, you invested in kingdom movement. And I just think it's important that we take time to tell people, thank you. Amen? Who here doesn't like hearing thank you? If you don't, you have an insecurity issue, right? No, seriously. And that's something to kind of chew on in your journal and maybe repent about. But Paul is not saying, I worship you, Philippi. He's saying, thank you for investing in me, because apart from your investment, I couldn't do what God called me to do. I had a really hard time with fundraising as a church planter. Really hard time. I had a terrible time asking people for money and I'll never forget an organization said, Drew, if you don't do what God's calling you to do and ask me to help you do it, then I can't do what God's called me to do, which is to invest in you. And I'm like, well, shoot, I don't want to get in God's way. (laughs) When you put it that way, can I have a hundred grand instead of 10, right? I mean, think about this, but we don't say thank you enough. Like I can't say thank you enough to the Stamps Foundation. That's what I'm talking about. I don't think we say thank you enough to people that have given to us. And I'm talking right now to all you children because I spent all day yesterday driving in circles for sports. We don't say thank you enough to the people that God has put in your life, your physical, maybe spiritual, relational parents. So again, kids, turn to your parents right now. Thank you for your investment in my life. That's what Paul's doing. But he's actually writing as a spiritual parent to his kids. Church, don't miss this. If there's a spiritual parent in your life, send them a text today just says, hey, thank you. Thank you for investing in me. Thank you for doing what you've done. Thank you for modeling the gospel. I send these texts regularly to the Ricks of the world, the Tods of the world in my life, say thank you for their investment. Here's essentially what Paul says. He says, guys, my ministry is not possible without you. I couldn't do this. I literally would have died of starvation. I would have given up. I would have thrown in the towel because when I'm down on the ground and I look out, I see devastation. But if I look up, I see Philippi extending a hand saying, Paul, I got you. We're with you. We're for you. So that's what Paul says here. He's writing this thank you letter saying, thanks for your partnership. Thank you, Philippi. God has made a difference because of you and none of this would be possible if it wasn't for you. Church, that's not only true in the church of Philippi. That's true at Vintage Grace. You guys, Facebook, I've avoided it for really most of the last 18 months because it's been so toxic for my heart. And yet one of the best things about Facebook is what? Anybody know what happens every like six or seven years? You get this reminder that pops up. I love those. This week was the exact week that I preached my last sermon at RCC eight years ago and got into a moving truck and broke down on the 99. And all those memories started popping up. (laughs) Right? And I get to say, thank you, RCC, for your partnership. It was this week, eight years ago. Now, again, the housing market was so crazy. We rented a house sight unseen. We moved a month too early. We went back to SoCal the next week to finish up life. And yet the reality is ministry at Vintage Grace did not start eight years ago. It actually started probably 10 years ago. It was 10 years ago in September 11th of 2011 that EFCA, our organization that we're a part of, that they came and said, hey, Drew, we think you should plant a church in in Sacramento. And we're like, cool. Well, God hasn't told us that, so we're out. But that, that's really where it started. And it probably started even before that. It probably started 18 years ago when we started RCC as pastors. Again, God has been faithful. So even Eve, thank you as you were leading us this morning. It's amazing to look back and see God's faithfulness to us at Vintage Grace. I mean, how many of you guys, do you know what it's like to be a missionary? Any missionaries out there? Anybody a missionary knows what it's like to raise support? Now, again, this is actually more of a test for you, church. Because at Vintage Grace, who do we think the missionaries are at Vintage Grace? So any missionaries out there? Oh, good. Okay, you're with me now. Because I think it's easy for you to feel like you have been in grace. Well, Drew and Jen planted the church. Who are church planters in the room right now? Raise your hand if you're a church planner. Remember, church planters are just disciple makers. Come on, Paul. I saw you. Get your hand up. Right? Like, all of us are in this together. And so I don't want you to miss. Part of it's important for us to talk about RCC is because let's just be really honest, church. We want to be RCC to Gabe in Oakland. We want to be RCC to Matt in Oak Park. Like, that's who God has called us to be. And yet RCC is this small church in Yorba Linda, California. You guys ever heard of Yorba Linda, California? Three of you, right? They've never heard of Eldorado Hills either, except for through Vintage Grace. And yet this small church in Yorba Linda specifically, there was one gal in particular, Melva. I love Melva. Melva was a part of the launch team at RCC over 50 years ago. And she's been at Vintage Grace before. I had pictures with her at the last building. She was like, I I gotta get someone to drive me up because I don't drive. I gotta get someone to take me up here just so I can see what God's doing. You know why? Because Melva prayed for the Gilgers. Now, not literally, she didn't know the Gilgers. (laughs) Melva didn't know anybody in El Dorado Hills, but Melva prayed for young couples that God would bring couples together for his glory and for their good. Melva knew that there would be challenges in all of your lives. Gilgers, I'm not trying to speak prophetically. Are there ever challenges in your life? Melva prayed for you. She doesn't know you, but she prayed for you. Todd Chapman, who will preach here in a couple weeks, my pastor, he'll preach here in August. He prayed for you. He supported you. And it's imperative that we understand who RCC is because it's actually who we want to be. So Paul tells them, thank you. Paul tells them, thank you for supporting me because it made a difference. And what I love about this is that Melva, Todd, RCC, your Belinda, guess what? That's who we get to be at Vintage Grace in El Dorado Hills. But don't, don't miss this. Ministry is a two-way street. Partnerships are symbiotic. It's a, it's a both and not an either-or. Look at what Paul says. He says, When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and what? Receiving. Why? Because everyone wants to know what do I get out of the deal? See, here's what I love about your Belinda. Your Belinda's line on their little billboard in their town is your Belinda the land of gracious living. Part of why we plant in Eldorado Hills, there's all sorts of reasons, but one of the reasons why is this is your Belinda North. We left Orange County North to go to North Orange County is how we feel. White-collar community that all of us would be tempted to worship our kids. All of us would be tempted to think that living near East Lake or Puddle Folsom or wherever God places us, that we would think that that would bring us ultimate joy. And that's part of why I think God landed me here as a cancer dad who says health is not what's most important. Wealth is not what's most important. What's most important is Jesus. That's what's most important. And so I think God did that work in my life in your Belinda. He's still that work in my life here in El Dorado Hills. And that's part of why we planted here. It's a both and it's not an either or. Why was it so important? Because again, Stamps, RCC, these churches that supported us, it was so hard for me because I'd be like, I don't want to ask you for money. And they're like, no, you're doing us a favor. You guys know that we have some church planners. that are like, you don't have to support us anymore. And we're like, oh, no, we're not done. We're not done till Jesus comes. Why? Because we're in it with you. Because it's a blessing for us to invest in Oak Park. Why? Because otherwise we get really distracted by EDH. We get really distracted by thinking this is what matters most. No, kingdom is what matters most. And so we invest with our time and our treasure and our talent. In fact, don't miss this. This church in Philippi, they beg for an opportunity to invest with Paul. In fact, that's what the text says. This church in Philippi, Paul tells the church of Corinth, they are an example, not because they gave out of an abundance at Vintage and even in your Belinda. I think often we're tempted to give out of an abundance. That's not a bad thing. If you have abundance, don't apologize for that. Just give it away. It's not bad to have abundance, but don't miss this. The church of Philippi, they gave out of poverty, not out of abundance. Paul's like, I don't want your money because you don't have any. And this church in Philippi was like, you can't tell me to stop giving to you. This is what God wants me to do. And so I'm gonna do it for his glory and actually for my good. And so they begged, why? Because it was about this abundance, this overflow of their heart and church. Make no mistake, I wanna be like RCC, but maybe even more so I wanna be like Philippi. I wanna be this church that's focused on kingdom partnerships, mutually beneficial. And so why is it beneficial for us as a church to be a generous church? Because it shows us our heart. That's what money does, doesn't it? Money often shows our heart. Why does Jesus talk about money? Because it shows our heart. And even right now, one of you invited your friends to church and you're like, gosh dang it, Drew's preaching on giving? Does that not happen when you invite your friends to church or just me, right? I have yet to believe friends that will come to church and they happen to pick the week that we're talking about giving. Guys, we're not talking about giving today, we're talking about our hearts. This beneficial reality for you and I to live on mission. And Paul says this, don't give for my benefit, actually give for your benefit. Why? Because when we give out of a joyful heart, you know what that shows us? It shows us that we're kingdom people, not empire people. Guys, that's what I want for you is your path. When I say I want you happier tomorrow than you are today, I really just want you to be a kingdom person. In the kingdom, there's gaps in the empire, but our heart is full because the king is resident there. And so listen to what Paul says here. I love this. He says, look, I don't even seek the gift. Four times you've given. Half the time I don't even ask. You just keep giving me money. Not that I seek the gift, Paul says, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Look, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied. He's writing this letter like a gift receipt. That's what he's doing. I got EPAP's money. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But don't miss this. I don't seek the gift. God takes care of me. I'm well supplied. Look at what he says here. He says money matters. So church, we're gonna talk about money for a quick moment. Those For God box in the back, these matter. It's about your heart. That's all that matters. As your pastor, I don't know how much you give. Don't give for my approval because I'll never know how much you give. But on the For God box, here's what it says. We believe everything is from God, including our time, our treasure, and our talent. And we want to honor him with what he entrusts to us. We will not take a formal offering during service, typically. We might. But we encourage you to give at the For God box or online at vintagegrace.org. It's your generosity that's making a difference in this church, in our community, and the world around us. But notice what Paul says as pastor. He doesn't say that money doesn't matter. He says, money does matter. Why? Because money shows your heart. And because you were so generous, here's what I know about you. You're not sucked into the empire and the land of gracious living. You've been set free from that. You've been set free from accomplishment and achievement because you recognize that God has already accomplished everything. And so Paul is saying, thank you for your gift in supporting me. God used it for the gospel. I'm well supplied. Here's what else he says. He says, but really this was about your gift. This was about the fruit of your faith. This is about you actually saying there is more joy in Jesus. Because how many of us believe fully, don't lie in church. How many of us believe fully that there's more joy in Jesus? Man, I want your faith and your faith and your faith. I'm still in process. (laughs) I believe it. But how often does my lack of faith come up? Typically around mortgage time, tax time, right? Uh, let's just wrestle with that. And so here's what Paul says, because you gave not out of abundance, but out of poverty, I know that you gave because you wanted to. What's the only command in the New Testament about giving? God loves a what? Cheerful giver. If you can't give in your joy, guess what we believe in vintage grace? Don't give. You ever heard a pastor tell you not to give before? Yes, at vintage grace. I get it. Don't give. But if you don't give out of your joy, can I encourage you as your pastor? You should ask the question why you don't give. Because that shows your heart. That's what we're talking about here. And Paul says, look, I'm not even seeking the gift. I'm seeking the fruit to your faith that comes from a joyful heart. That's been set free from the work of this world and set free to do the work of the kingdom. And that's who he's writing to, to these people in Philippi. He says this to Timothy. Remember the guy that he's been planting a lot of churches with? He says to Timothy, but godliness with contentment is great what church? Gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world. How did you enter the world? Anybody know? Naked. You weren't bringing anything. Maybe an umbilical cord. And we cannot take anything out of the world. I love it. John Piper says this way. There's no U-Hauls behind hearses. You ever thought about that? Now again, someone will email me a picture of a U-Haul behind a hearse. It's photoshopped. It's not real. There's no U-Hauls behind hearses. Piper tells another story when talking about giving and I love this story. He says, imagine you're an art collector and and you walk in with a buddy. And let's just be really honest. Your buddy's not an art collector. You are. And you start walking around this incredible art museum and he starts taking things off the wall and he just holds them. And you're an established art collector. And now your buddy, you're like, what are you doing? You don't touch that. First of all, you probably punched them in the face by now, right? But you're walking around, and then you get to the end of the day, and the clock strikes midnight, and you got to go put the stuff back. And the whole time people are looking at you like, what is wrong with you? You're like, I'm an art collector. i got special stuff. And you're laughing at them. You're like, you're not an art collector. You're an idiot. That's what you are. You're an idiot. And I love this picture because is that not what we do in the world? We start to gather all these things as if at the end of the day, we're going to take it home with us. There's no U-Hauls behind hearses. That's what Paul's saying. He simply says this. Godliness with contentment is great grace, is great gain, and we cannot take anything out of the world. Here's what he says in verse 8. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be what? Content. And there's a part that goes, do we even need? Clearly, I don't need more food right now, right? Now, My clothing is more for your benefit than for mine. (laughs) I mean, think about this reality. We use the word need in so many illegitimate ways that at times should cause us to stop and say, Are we kingdom people or are we empire people? That's why Paul talks about money, because money matters, because your residency matters. And what has he been telling us in Philippians? He's been saying, Your residency is a kingdom of heaven, not of earth. Live this way. So he tells Timothy, he says, Man, be content when you start to get to a point in your life where you've been set free from the sin of acclamation, of accumulation of achieving, then you're actually set free from the empire to actually live for the kingdom. And I'm just telling you, as one who's in process, there's no greater joy than being set free from this world, amen? So think about that. In Paul goes on, he says this in verse nine. I love this, 1 Timothy 6. But to those of you who desire to be rich, be very careful, because at one point, everyone fell in this category, maybe still do. Those who desire to be rich, fall into this temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. Church, who woke up this morning and said, I want to be pierced with many pangs. <laughs> right? And yet so often we pray for things like God, give me this, and let's just be really really honest church, this might actually pierce us with pangs. So praise God doesn't give doesn't give you everything you want. Amen. Remember that. Remember that. And so Paul's writing this letter to the church, and he's saying, Guys, my saying thank you to you isn't even about the gift that you gave me. It's about here, me knowing as your pastor that your lives have been transformed, and we can see that with your time, your talent, and your treasure. He says, You can see that. I'm well supplied. I received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. It was a fragrant offering. He didn't like spray perfume on the coins that he sent. It was a fragrant offering. Why? Because it revealed your heart, and it was a sacrifice. I grew up in a church context where we used to say things like, you give till it hurts. That's actually not the gospel. The gospel is you give because it makes you happy. I don't want you to give till it hurts. I want you to give till you can't stand the joy anymore in giving. That's part of what Paul says. It's a sacrifice. It's fragrant. It's aroming. And it's pleasing to God. Now, can I just be really honest? As your pastor, my giving life has not always been pleasing to God. Anybody else agree with me? Has your giving life always been pleasing to God? Like, we're in life group. This is, wow, I finished seminary in 05, I think, 05, 06. So we're in seminary. My wife, she's my sugar mama. She's a high school teacher. So she's making like 33 grand a year. We're in La Mirada, SoCal. I'm a part time pastor, which means that you're full time, but you don't get paid full time. I'm doing seminary, and we're sitting in Life Group. And in Life Group, Jason White, he's a transfer student from Jamaica. Doesn't have a home, doesn't have a lot of money, and he's just sharing about his circumstances and how hard it is, and he's got to get a job. We actually played soccer together at one point when I was in undergrad with him. He was undergrad at the time. I was a grad student, and, and so I knew Jason. We're in life group, and he's sharing his burden, and Jen leans over me, and she goes, babe, not out loud, just me and her. She goes, babe, we should give Jason our rodeo. And I'm like, babe, I had a cup of noodles for lunch today. Like, I don't know how we're going to pay for seminary. What do you mean we should give Jason our rodeo? Well, we don't, we don't need this car. Like God's going to provide. And I give her that look as a husband that I'm like, woman, you are crazy. Don't you know, you don't do the banking for the soda stroms. Guys, part of the lesson here is if you need a car, talk to Jen. She says, Drew, this is what we should do. And no joke. I, I ignored her. Husbands, please don't do that. Have you ever done that whole deal where you just ignore your wife? You pretend you don't hear her. Just apologize and repent right now. We get in the car, she's like, hey, did you hear me during life group? No, I was focused on the word of God. (laughs) We get in the car, we're driving home. She's like, babe, I I really think you should do this. And then she says that awful word, you should pray about it. (laughs) I don't have to pray about it, no. Now guys, I don't share this story to be funny. Like I haven't seen Jason since this point really. I share this story years later in repentance. I missed an opportunity for my joy. That's what I did. When I say that Drew rhymes with poo, you know why I say that? Because it's true. And that rhymes too. I share with you about Jason White because I hope someday I get to tell Jason, bro, I failed you as a brother because communitas is about a common mission, not about common money. Community talks about a common mission. And so Paul says this, church, pay attention because if you're not careful, even your fragrant offering is actually a pile of rubbish. Pay attention because God has called you and loves you and cares about you and he wants to release you. And I can tell you as a church, not in a boastful way at all, I'm at a season in my giving journey where I've never given more in my life than to my local church and to those who ask for something. Now, some of you are going to test me this afternoon and be like, hey, Drew, I want your car. It's okay. It's an 4 pickup. You can have it. That's actually my son's car, so he might fight you for it. But here's the deal, guys. When Paul writes to the church, he says, be careful because your money reveals your heart, and I care about your heart because that's what shows where your joy is and what makes you happy, and I want you to give a gift that's acceptable and pleasing to God, and I don't want you to miss out on an opportunity. I don't want to miss out on the joy in giving and your journey to move forward. And here's the reality. The Israelites, they missed on this all the time. You were supposed to give first fruits. What did the Israelites regularly do? They gave last fruits. Don't do that. We do that in America sometimes too, don't we? We give at the end of the month when we're like, well, here's what's left over. You know, God doesn't want your leftovers, but God doesn't need your first fruits either. He wants your first fruits because it shows that your heart's being transformed. Does that make sense? That's what Paul is after. He's after sacrifice that does cost something, but it will be a joyful, fragrant sacrifice. Why? Because when we have nothing, I think then and only then do we start to actually believe that he is everything. And here's my fear in the Church of America. We have so many things, we don't actually have what matters most which is the gospel, which is the kingdom, which is the king himself. Here's how Paul ends his letter. He says, look up, don't look out. And my God, it's very personal for Paul. When we're in moments of desperation, then we can turn to our father. I love the story of David and Goliath. Anybody else love that story? And and Goliath laughs at David, right? Because he looks out and he kind of laughs at him. David never laughs, David never trembles. Why? Because David looked up, not out. David knew his God personally. Go read the Psalms. They had an intimate relationship and so in this context, Paul, in the same way as David, he says, my God, there's an intimate relationship. I look up, I don't look out. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. When we look up, we see God, and then we get bold. We start to live lives with our time and our talent and our treasure as if, if, if nothing could be against me because my God is for me. That's what Paul says in Romans. What could be? I got nothing to lose. And when I live a generous life with my time, my treasure, my talent, God always provides. What does God always provide? How much of your needs? How much? All. All of them. Now, again, here's one problem that me and God have. We define need differently sometimes, don't we? You know what God wants for you? He wants you to trust him fully, completely, which means God might not actually want you to live in the land of gracious living. God might actually not not want you to have the promotion because it might take you away not only for your kingdom opportunity but also for someone else's that's at your current office. You're like, God, why can't I get this new job? Because he has someone in your office right now that needs you. Because they're down and they need to look up and they're going to look up and they're going to actually see you. And when we look up and we see God, when he's the hero of the story, you know what happens? He gets all the glory to our God and Father. Be the glory forever and ever. Amen. When did David start to lose it as a king, lost it as a pastor? When he forgot who the real hero of his story was. When he forgot what happened on the battlefield. When he forgot that God is the one that fights our battles. And so what are our implications for us today? The first implication is this. It's the same implication every Sunday. More joy in Jesus. More joy, more joy, more joy. We're on a battleship. Let's fight, church. Let's fight with our time and our talent and our treasure for the joy set before us. Two implications. Here's the first one. As your pastor, thank you for grinding. Look, ministry's hard. It's too easy when the temperature gets turned up for us to run away, speaking from experience. Thank you for fighting for your joy. Thank you for giving out of your generosity, not out of your surplus, but out of your poverty. If you're one of those guys like me, that's, I'm just a seminary student. I can't afford to give church for your joy, don't buy that lie. It only comes from America. It's not from the kingdom at all. Thank you for joyfully grinding and sacrificially investing in kingdom movement. It reminds me of the widow's mite. You guys love the widow's mite story? She gives what? Her last two. In fact, if you look up what a mite is worth, a mite's worth about six minutes worth of labor. That's all she had to her name was 12 minutes worth of labor, which for some of you guys, that's a lot of money. For the rest of us, it's not much. She gives her last two mites. And you know what always grabbed my heart for that story? Jesus doesn't stop her. I would think Jesus, as a loving God, would be like, no, 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 you need that. Don't give your last two mites. He doesn't stop her. Why? Because he actually thinks that she has what matters most. She can have nothing, but if she has the Father, she has what? Everything. He doesn't stop her. He says, yes, because when you have nothing, you see that I'm everything. He goes, I don't want you to lose the chance to trust me to see that I'm trustworthy, to see that my glory will satisfy you. And I can't help in a sermon like this to forget the reality that one-fifth of the world's Christians live in America, but one, but four-fifths of its income lives in America. One-fifth of the world's Christians in America, but four-fifths of its income lives here, which means church, we just recently hit 20% in giving. It's so cool. I love that. But 50 percent's the goal. We have to be a generous church that recognizes that whatever God has given us is that we would be a conduit of grace, not a cul-de-sac, not a lake, but a river. And so thank you for giving. All of our givers got a letter for me this week. It was just a letter that said, hey, thanks for giving. Every quarter I send out a letter. I don't know how much you give. I just say, thanks for giving. It's for me and the elders. And I outline some of the things that God's doing. If you got this letter, this is my personal way also of just saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for giving. If you didn't get one of these letters, can I encourage you to give? Not because you should, but because it's for your good. Because it actually changes your life as you trust him more. The ultimate implication, number two, is simply our vision. Our vision's happening here in Jerusalem, here in Judea, Samaria, and here in the ends of the earth. The letter outlines this better, but man, I'm seeing joy increase because of your generosity. Keep being generous. Don't stop. It's easy even in the summer months for me as a pastor to be like, oh, summer, giving goes down. Yeah, but opportunities go up. Base camp? Summer camp, barbecues, 4th of July parties. The kingdom of God is everywhere. Don't miss your chance to engage in Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, last couple weeks ago, I got to leave church. I got to go down and take a $10,000 check to Gabe. We support him monthly as well. But Andy Walsh, one of our elders, went down with me. And I've never seen the boy more giddy in my life. And he's giddy all the time. So if you don't know Andy, he's one of our, our elders. And he goes, Drew, this is like a bucket list item for me. I get to go to a church plant on their first vision gathering and I'm like, maybe because I've done it a few times, but I'm like, dude, Father, forgive me for not being as sighted as Andy. He said, Joe, this is a bucket list. Like, this is bigger than Hawaii. This is so important because God is gonna do a work in Oakland like he's done here and lives will be transformed and the kingdom wins, amen? So thank you for your generosity. God's doing a great work Matt in Matt and Oak Park. God's doing a great work. We're, we're actually bringing out a potential pastor canon in a couple weeks. And here's our hope. If we offer him a job, it's gonna be, bro, we actually don't want you to be our pastor in five years. We want you to go plant a church in five years. So come pastor with us now so we can send you later. Honestly, it's part of why we hired David in life groups. I think all of our life group pastors are gonna be like church planters. Why? Because here's this hope that we'll continue to build joy-filled communities of faith that's very existence that inspires every individual to live the abundant Christian life. Our one, our two, our three. That's the battleship. Judea, Samaria, and ultimately the ends of the earth. Haiti. You guys heard what happened in Haiti a couple weeks ago? I was on vacation. I get this note from a missionary in Haiti. He says, president's been assassinated. There's going to be opportunities for kingdom movement. I love our missionaries. That's their approach. Something really bad happened, but God. Something really bad happened, but God, there's an opportunity here. So last week we got to cut a check to give resources to Haiti because of your generosity. Thank you for not giving to us, but giving through us. In Africa... We just got the opportunity. Remember, we committed to build this medical clinic. We committed to a big chunk over three years. I think we'll be done within a year and a half. Why? Because you're generous. Because we get to do more as God flows through his resources through us to kingdom impact and the ends of the earth. And it's not just something I get a front row experiencing, but it's something that's happening as a direct result of you. So church, please hear me as your pastor. I love being with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Cyprian will preach here in the fall. But again, some of you have already forgotten what he looks like. So Cyprian's got a quick message for us right now. He's our pastor in Africa.
2: Hi, Vintage Grace Church family. Uh, my name's uh, Cyprian. And uh, I'm a minister out here in Uganda. I'm Margaret Masende. wife to Cyprian Masende? Allow um, me to see this opportunity to thank you, um, Vintage Grace Church family, for the way that you inspire us. know the way that you are very passionate about serving the Lord. You know, whenever we think about Viki, what comes to mind is a vibrant church family that has, you know, charismatic leaders and a God-given vision passionately pursuing it. And uh, we are impressed and we learn a lot from the way you've gone about uh, planting communities of joy in different places in the States. And uh, the way you proclaim truth in a simple and yet very interesting way. You know, um, planting, you know, telling people that uh, there is more joy in Jesus than any joy you can get in any part of this life. So we are mutually encouraged when we actually see what the Lord is doing through you. We also want to thank you for the tools you provided us with. Through our partnership, through our friendship, uh, the truck, the dump truck that has come in so handy, helping us um, with also, uh, you know, delivering materials to our different sites, and uh, also I think of uh, the charity in charity that like you helped us build, and now you are currently helping us with uh, the clinic in Pangati. We are grateful beyond measure. In fact, words can't do us uh, justice. We are so thankful for the friendship, the teams you sent out here, the teaching that has been done. Pastor Drew himself came and led a team. Pastor Andy and Madame Cathy, the teachings have, have inspired our pastors. And when they have gone back to their home communities, it has had a ripple effect, uh, imparting you know, new life in the community. So, we are so grateful. We thank you and we pray that may God bless you.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Vintage Grace Sunday podcast. Our prayer is that God use this time to deepen your relationship with him. Hey, if you benefited from this podcast in some way, shape, or form, would you consider sharing this with a friend? It's just a simple way that you can share what Jesus is doing in your life with others. As always, we hope this podcast helps you to be the living proof of a loving God wherever he invites you to be
1: this week.